This is Dave Chang. And Chris Ying. We are the hosts of Recipe Club. You may have listened to it before, but we are now back on the air, new and improved, with the same hosts that lose every week. I still don't know what the rules are because they've changed as well. Chris, can you give a quick rundown? Every week, we debate the best way to cook the things you want to eat. We take a user, listener, submitted recipe, and we all cook it with our friends, Priya Krishna, Rachel Kong, Brian Ford, and John DeBerry. And then we talk about what went right and what went wrong. No, I actually really don't want to do this podcast. (laughs) And they are hardly our friends. They are enemies. They are enemies. It's Dave's civil disobedience. If you want to see Dave Chang in an act of civil disobedience, tune into Recipe Club where he will not follow the recipe. I'm contractually obligated (laughs) to make this podcast. (laughs) But I'm here to have a good time. So listen to Recipe Club every week on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by USAA Auto Insurance. Life is full of tough decisions. Thanks to USAA Auto Insurance, picking your auto coverage is not one of them. Make the switch to USAA Auto Insurance and find out how much you could save. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Vital Farms keeping it bull free. We always wanted our kids as they were growing up to have stuff that came from the right places. Vital Farms is perfect for this. Here's how good Vital Farms is. You can go to vitalfarms.com slash farm and you can get a 360 degree peek at the actual farm where your eggs came from. Uh, It's a certified B corporation. They are devoted to improving the lives of people, animals, and the planet through food. Great taste. You can do fried, poached, scrambled. Vital Farms bet you can taste the difference. Food simply tastes better when you know where it came from. Shop the farm that's a certified B corporation and gives their hens the lifestyle they deserve. Vital Farms. Look for the black Vital Farms carton in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms. Keeping it bullshit free. The Rewatchables is brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find the big picture with Sean Fantasy. Red hot after the Will Smith slap. You just need more, more uh, world-changing incidents in Hollywood to yeah. really get the big picture going, I feel Should like. I slap Chris on this pod? <laughs> I wish we were together. <laughs> you can hit him right now. Chris Ryan, you can hear him on The Watch. You can hear him on the Ringer NBA show. You can hear my pod, the Bill Simmons podcast. Um on all platforms, all of those. You're still cranking that out? Still cranking it out. <laughs> and The Town with Matt Bellany, our newest Hollywood podcast. If you like the Hollywood stuff, check that out. He had some good Oscar stuff. Coming up on this podcast, why does this keep happening to us? Die Hard 2 is next. Your wife's plane, they're going to run out of fuel in 90 minutes. L.A. cop John McLean is back. What are you going to do? Whatever I can. Because old habits die hard. We are just up to our neck in terrorists again, John. On July 4th, Die Harder. Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2, rated R. All right, we are taping this on a Friday, and a couple days ago, Bruce Willis announced that he was retiring from movies, and we'll go into some of the reasons in a little bit, but some of the choices that I guess he made the last few years made more sense when you read the story about some of his health issues, and he was being on the set for two days and earplugs and all these things. It was a really sad story. I think we're all bummed out, so we wanted to pay homage to him with a Bruce Willis movie that we hadn't done today. 
which we're going to do Die Hard too in a second. But Chris, one of your favorite actors. What was your what was your response and reaction when you read that story? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously um, a really sad, sad tale about how uh, people, even people that you would imagine have all the resources in the world available to them, still can be taken advantage of in this world and in in that industry. It's kind of it's kind of stomach turning just because the implications of the of the LA Times piece just suggest that essentially like, people were using him as a cash cow over the last couple of years. I mean, Bruce Willis has always been a really prolific actor, even going back through his filmography before we were doing this pod. I was like, man, he he was averaging like three to four movies a, a year when he was the biggest star in Hollywood. So I think that his um Work ethic was never in question, but obviously doing all these straight-to-streamer VOD action movies and probably working under not ideal conditions and like you alluded to, getting his lines fed to him through earplugs and kind of not knowing all the time where he was or why he was there. Just a really sad story, man. What'd you think, Sean? Yeah, the same as Chris. I think it's it's really disappointing. I, and Chris and I actually were having a conversation, you know, outside of work where we were remarking on how many movies he had made in the past few years and how it wasn't that long ago when he was still top lining major productions you know like movies like the expendables or he was in a wes anderson movie 10 years ago or you know he he had been appearing in big movies and then all of a sudden circa 2017 18 19 he started showing up in movies like precious cargo and hard kill and i was like how did this happen you know yeah. because we didn't think of bruce willis in necessarily the exact same light as Nicolas Cage, but obviously this this story gives us a lot of background. It's just tremendously sad anytime. It sounds like what he's dealing with is um is is a very challenging um you know cognitive condition. And so, you know, my heart yeah, goes out to him and his family. Yeah. The last like big movie that he made was Death Wish in 2018, which was weirdly disappointing. That was a movie that I felt like I've been waiting for them to remake forever because it was such a great idea. It's such a kind of trapped in the 1970s awesome makes me think I'm in the mid 70s when I watch it but I don't feel like it's aged great in a bunch of different ways I was waiting for somebody to remake it they remade it it wasn't great and then as as Sean said after that he's just in a ton of stuff he's making you know four or five movies a year in 2021 he's in seven and in 2022, he was in six. A couple of them haven't come out yet, but you started seeing him on, I always call it, it used to be the blockbuster box where you'd be like, ah, oh, why is this guy in this? Um, now it's kind of the VOD box. Like you go on like Voodoo or Amazon Prime and or the Apple things and you'll see the, the cover of the movie and it'll be like, wait, why is he in that? With like the fourth Baldwin brother? What's going on? Is he low on cash? And now I think it makes a lot more sense. But, you know, going back to the heyday of Bruce, it felt like this guy, I don't know, Chris, do you ever think he was the biggest star in the world? It felt like he was in the conversation. But if we're looking at it, like from a basketball standpoint, I don't know if he was ever like top dog, but he was always like getting MVP votes there for, I would say like six, seven years. Yeah, you know what it is, is that it's actually like he was so prolific that I feel like his career is a little hard to chart because every year that you're like, man, he had that movie. He must have been the biggest star in the world. And then you look and he's got three turkeys right underneath of it. Yeah. So he's always had a very erratic, very high volume style of working. I mean, this is not going to ever be like a cruise or, or somebody who's just like, I pick the best material. I work mm. it to death. I promote the hell out of it. That's my big temple for the year or whatever. He was, he was a much different cat. He was a little bit more like, um, 
I don't know, like an old Hollywood star who would just like crank them out and he'd have some hits and have some misses. I think the thing that he brought to the movies that I loved so much was like, there are a lot of people who are natural action stars and, and that's what they do. And then they can force comedy onto them. And then there are comedy stars who can try and bulk up and do some action. He was just perfect at both. He, he was so good at both the, the, like, the thriller action stunt stuff and also the one-liners, the ad-libs, and the human element of it. He was almost unique in that kind of action star or movie star that we have over the, like, the course of our movie-watching lifetimes. I, uh, my John McClane and Butch, I think, are my two favorites from him. Who am I missing, Sean? Well, I think one thing that makes him such a such a cool movie star, in addition to what Chris is talking about, is the fact that he had great taste and he was willing to take on projects with filmmakers who were maybe not as proven. Obviously, Pulp Fiction, a big reason Pulp Fiction became Pulp Fiction is because a big movie star, Bruce Willis, put his stamp on it to play Butch. But, you know, he would he 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 was in Death Becomes Her, a really zany Robert Zemeckis movie. You know, he's in 12 Monkeys, this like incredibly complex Terry Gilliam sci-fi movie. You know, he would do um, uh, he did Breakfast of Champions with Alan Rudolph, you know, a Kurt Vonnegut mm. adaptation. He's in The Sixth Sense with a little known filmmaker named M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan, who he went on to work with all the time. And so, like. I mean, The Sixth Sense, that's one of his great performances. That's one of the best performances of his career and one of the biggest roles that he ever had. He just was like a pretty daring figure in the world of movies who also consistently was like, okay, it's now time for me to do Armageddon. You know, yeah. now it's, it is now time for me to do Tears of the Sun. You know, like I have to remember that in my back pocket, I'm one of the biggest action stars of my generation, but was not afraid to play himself in Ocean's 12 in a hilarious cameo. You know, he did the same thing 30 years before that in The Player. He had a great sense of humor about himself, about the industry, about his role as a movie star, while also consistently making really good movies. He's pretty, he's pretty rare. So Costner and him, I think both flew pretty close to the sun with some of their hits and then had some major bombs. And you go back and you look at Bruce, he die hard you know, becomes a phenomenon. He's also on Moonlighting at the same time. And he's just clearly going to be one of the biggest stars we have. Then he's in the Look Who's Talking movie between Die Hard 1 and 2. And then Die Hard 2, which made more money than Die Hard 1, which we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, then he would, then he had The Bonfire of the Vanities, Mortal Thoughts, which he made with his wife, and Hudson Hawk all in a row. And we did Last Boy Scout, which belatedly became, I think, a pretty, pretty cult beloved movie but in the in the moment i don't feel like people felt like that was a massive hit and even striking distance which is has to be in the running for weirdest movie he's made he made it's like about what is it pittsburgh coast guard it's Chris? pittsburgh it's like river patrol river. And I, I think sarah jessica parker's in that <laughs> it's, it, it's an insane movie it's like yeah. they it must have been some script that was bouncing around and they were like we've got bruce willis it's rowdy then, harrington it's the guy who made roadhouse too right so then he, Pulp Fiction brings it back and all of a sudden he's one of the coolest pe actors we have again. And then he follows that up with North and Color of Night. And Color of Night was a big deal in that. It was oh, like yeah. this heyday of the post-basic instinct who can grab into this. I saw that in the theater with my friend Nick Aida. Yeah, you um, did. Of course I did. <laughs> but so those two were bombs. And then it's like, oh man, Bruce, he's another funk. And then he comes back again. With Die Hard with a Vengeance. And it just, that was the way it went. From 88 to 99, he rips off. If you're just going the good stuff, Die Hard, Luke is Talking, Die Hard 2, 
Um, last Boy Scout. He's in the Puer. Pulp Fiction. Nobody's Fool he's in. Diary of the Vengeance, 12 Monkeys, Fifth Element, Armageddon, Sixth Sense. That's like a 12-year run with another 20 movies that I haven't mentioned. So I would have him right there with in that Costner, Harrison Ford, Hanks. But I think the difference with Hanks was his batting average. He just, other than Bonfire of the Vanities, he just didn't make bad movies there for his entire prime. Yeah, it seems like he's trying to split the difference between like Clint Eastwood and Paul Newman in terms of the persona. You know, like mm. charming, handsome guy, can do comedy, can do light drama, also hardcore action star. You know, is most is really believable with a gun, is really believable doing stunts. And on top of that, he's like really into music and performing. He's married to one of the most famous actresses in Hollywood. He's just kind of part of the wallpaper, the fabric of my, at least my youth as a as a Hollywood obsessive. You know, like he was just always, wasn't he a part of Planet Hollywood too? I feel like he was also in that mix. Yeah. So he was just everywhere. Chris is 80. I'm, you might not remember this, but the two things I remember first from him, he did a Seagram's ad where it was like Seagram's golden wine coolers. And he's on a porch and there's all these dudes and they're snapping fingers. And it's like just the most charismatic ad you've ever seen. That ad was a big deal. And then he's in Miami Vice. Yeah. He's in, I think, one of the first seven episodes. It was like seventh or eighth episode, right as the is show is. Is he snitch in that? I can't remember. No, no. He's a wife abusing arms dealer. Oh, that's right. That's and right. he is a fucking bad guy. And he's really menacing. And it was definitely one of those where it's like, who's that guy? That's something. And then he got moonlighting. And moonlighting became a, a phenomenon immediately. I mean, that was like him and Sybil Shepard. It was the do they... Do they have it? Or are they doing Will it in real life? Day. Are they yeah. going to do it on the show? It tapped into the Sam Malone, Diane Cheer stuff in like this whole kind of cool way. And that's what, you know, by the late 80s, he just had it. But I, I'm with Chris. Like there's there's something about him that was just different than all the other people. There's some Paul Newman in there, but then there's also some action star in there, but he was also funny and just likable. You know, it's the one thing that was sort of always cool about him, and I say this now as I am obviously in my mid-40s, so I appreciate this more, but you see a lot of movie stars today actively trying to, like, keep keep the candle of the youth burning, right? Like, even Tom Cruise has no business really probably making the movies he's making, like Mission Impossible yeah. movies and getting thrown out of planes and stuff. Chris, settle down. No, no biz- I'm not no dissing Tom Cruise. Them. Yeah, now why are you bringing Tom Cruise into this? I, oh, all right. Well, like, I, you, you look at, like, say, like, Chris Pratt, right? Like Chris Pratt, I don't know how old he is. Much better, much better. But like he is definitely still (laughs) trying to make like buffed action movies and like be this like matinee idol. Bruce Willis was like 42 when he was 18. You know, like he he was like the epitome of like middle-aged cool guy when he was probably like Ben's age. And I just love the fact that like throughout his entire career, he was just this like my hair's thinning. I always wear a white tank top that inevitably gets stained gray by the end of the movie. I smoke constantly. I make Seagram's ads. But you know what? I'm married to Demi Moore and things are working out pretty well for me. Mm. Yeah. And the Demi Moore relationship was a big piece of this with his fame. That was one of the biggest celebrity couples we had. And then there's this weird moment when she becomes as big of a star as he was for- Striptease, yeah. I would say three, four years there. Striptease and- Well, it starts with- She's in A Few Good Men. She's not the star. But she got to be in a really, really good movie. And then she's in a couple more. And it's, you know, peaking with disclosure with her and Michael Douglas. And Uh, it seemed like she was the biggest actress in the world. 
I, I meant peaking from like a fame standpoint. Oh, not, not a from a quality standpoint. standpoint. Yeah, I mean, no. I, also the the recently back in the news, GI Jane. You know, yeah. that was at that yeah. same time. Yeah, it did feel like she was the number one actress. So that that was part of the whole thing. They were this power couple, but uh, we love Bruce, and most important, we love John McClane. We talked about we love the last Boy Scout guy. We haven't done Pulp Fiction yet. We haven't done Die Hard three yet. We're I guess we're going in order. Yeah, maybe we'll go in order. Die Hard 2, I hadn't seen in a while. It's just good to be back with John McClane, I got to say. <laughs> it was just nice to be in his orbit. Really, uh, it, the everyman thing takes a little bit of a hit in this movie because he has a couple of the craziest stunts, almost like in the Fast and Furious camp. You know, he parachutes out of a plane and just... I guess just lands in the seat, like just uh, the parachute. Parachute, yeah, yeah, I know. But just like <laughs> lands in the snow, and then there's another time when he jumps off a plane, and like he takes some, he takes some hits, Chris. He does. Uh, I I still found this more like quote unquote realistic than a lot of action movies you say see today. But yeah, true. I think the first Die Hard and the third Die Hard are characterized by their like this is really baked in like the stuff that's happening. It's pretty spectacular. It's huge stunt work, but for the most part, it's like, it can only happen in Nakatomi Plaza or it could only happen if you were driving up the Sawmill River Parkway or if you were running for a subway or something like that. This is like a little bit more action movie-ish and it was directed by Rennie Harlan and not yep. John McTiernan and I think Rennie Harlan loves just like blowing hot steam everywhere in a frame <laughs> and then throwing dudes around. Hmm. But it's still like when you watch Die Hard 2, you're like, is this still in the 95th percentile of action movies? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I still think it plays really well to me. Yeah, it's got like six, seven set pieces. I know, Sean, this movie resonates for you because not a lot of people know about this, but every morning you wake up and you do naked Tai Chi. <laughs> For, what, 15 what, minutes? The first? I, I, I had seriously been back-pocketing a joke at Chris's expense with the naked Tai Chi, and you beat me to it. I can't believe you fucking beat me to it. Uh, <laughs> the naked, there's some of the best naked Tai Chi we've ever had in an action movie. It's in the we, top eight. If, if not for the pandemic, we would all be in the studio right now recreating that sequence together. Uh, unfortunately, we can't be together right now. Uh, I, mean, I have so many questions about that But scene. did you read in the research... <laughs> He didn't realize he had to be naked, so the actor William Sadler was like, "Can we film this near the end? I want to get when I'm awesome like really shape. in good yeah. shape." Yeah, so he's yeah. training for two months for the naked Tai Chi. <laughs> uh, well, I, William Sadler does remind me though. This is also in addition to being great early '90s action movie, incredible John McClane, kind of you know confirming him in the action hero Hall of Fame. It's like one of the greatest that guy movies ever made. I, I, ever. I had ever, that written ever. down, and a lot of people who were that guys who then became just the names. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. There's like seven of them, but in 1990, we're complete. I didn't know who Fred Thompson was in 1990. I was like, oh, that guy. And it was just a slew of those. There's some guys I still don't know the names of, but um, yeah, look, this came out on July 4th. There was some buzz that they were having trouble getting it done. I think they moved the date, but this was, I'm in college at that point. This was like, when is this coming out? It's two years after the original. Um, it is right during the era of, Everybody looking at each other and going, let's just run it back. Like Lethal <laughs> Weapon 2, like, ah, fuck it. Let's just run it back. And this one, like, ah, people like John McClane. Let's run it back. They let him ad lib a lot of the scenes. Which, Chris, I know when when you eventually go into action movies yourself, like, yeah. the ad libbing is going to be big for you. It's like, you'll have the script. You'll have some some prompts, things like that. But you want the ability to cook on the set. 
Yeah, it's me doing new Tai Chi, but also doing a lot of like Judd Apatow improv, you know, just kind of like a lot of jokes while I'm doing it. And yeah. listen, you could feel it in the movie. You could feel like he's just, it's like, all right, Bruce, in this scene, you're just going to climb into that metal hall. Can you just I would make be some shocked jokes? If, this, if there was a single scripted word shared between Dennis Franz and Bruce Willis in this movie that was like in a script. Oh, that was another piece of this. The, this movie kind of starts the franz Sean. Yeah, I mean, he had been playing cops in De Palma movies in the 80s, yes. and it's kind of a riff on that. Um, but then there's no doubt that, I mean, NYPD Blue is, what, three or four years later? Yeah. So, you know, this this sets it up. He's not very well respected in this movie, though, I would say. No. Un- unlike his part in NYPD Blue. This guy... You mean, like, people don't talk like about Sipowitz. Carmine Lorenzo in the same, like, gilded <laughs> way that they talk about Andy Sipowitz? No, not quite the same. Okay. Great name, though. Carmine Lorenzo. They're like, how can we make this guy really Italian? Carmine? Well, what about a last name to really... Like, how about Carmine Lorenzo? All right, that'll do it. Uh, you mentioned directed by Rennie Harlan. This is kind of his breakout. This ain't from a like a like a big box office standpoint. I think he made Nightmare got, on Elm Street 4 before this, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not counting and, that And one. he made Ford Fairling. That's right, same year. Yeah. Screenplay was adapted from Walter Wager's 1987 novel, 58 Minutes. You got that one? Which had the same plot, differed slightly. Police officer must stop terrorists who take an airport hostage while his daughter's plane circles overhead. He has 58 minutes to do so before the plane crashes. And then uh, one of the writers of the screenplay, Stephen E. D'Souza, he admitted, and we should mention this too, like there's definitely some Iran-Contra kind of, they're just grabbing smoke from that whole scandal and shoehorning into this with Manuel Noriega in real life and in this movie. Esperanza. Esperanza, who resurfaces when? How many years later after this movie, the guy who played Esperanza? Franco Franco Nero? Nero? Yeah. Well, he he shows up a big action movie. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, he shows up in Django Unchained because he played the original Django in the Italian movies. What what one are you thinking of? Oh, John Wick? Just a little movie called John Wick 2. Yeah, John Wick 2, right? right, right. Yeah. 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 And it's like... I think he's he's another one who might have been the same age for the last 38 years. He might just be 59. <laughs> it's just his age. One of the I greatest have, beards in, in movie history. Great beard. Yeah. Great beard. I just can't get there with my beard. So released July 4th, $70 million budget, made $240 million internationally. Uh, 117 of that was domestic. I'm going to just give you the top... The top 14, Sean, just so you can get a little uh, movie nerd boner. My favorite. Yeah. (laughs) Home Alone, Ghost, Dances with Wolves, Pretty Woman. That was our top four. Wow. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Hunter Red October, Total Recall, Die Hard 2, 8th, Dick Tracy, Kindergarten Cop, Back to the Future Part 3, Presumed Innocent, Days Mm. of Thunder, Another 48 Hours. That was our top 14, Chris. Did you, did you, I think you accidentally said Hunter Red October, which is actually the name of Sean's Hunter Biden documentary that he's been working on. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Sean. I didn't mean to step on that. I, I wanted to just update you on one other thing too, which is, I don't know if you guys know this, but I always have a boner through the entirety of whatever I'm recording this show with you guys. So <laughs> like for those, three, bad. you know, for like the Goodfellas episode, that was actually quite painful for me, you know, by the time we got to the end. But. He, tapes it to, he tapes it to his leg. <laughs> What's funny about those 14 movies is I... I'm 100% sure I saw 13 of them in the theater. 
I think the I only saw one was thirteen Ninja of them like Turtles. five times in the yeah. theater. Yeah, it's just like that was the day. Like you would never have a top fourteen now, where I would say oh, I've seen thirteen of those fourteen in the theater. Uh, our guy Raj loved this. Yeah, I was surprised. Did he? I didn't look back at the review. What did he say? Three and a half stars from Raj. Wow. He said, "Quote: This is terrific entertainment." <laughs> <laughs> He said, this is one of those thrillers like the Indiana Jones series that I categorize as bruised forearm movies because when the movie's over, your forearm is black and blue from where your data's grabbed it during the moments of suspense. Yeah, Raj. Wow. Raj was all in. Siskel had it in his top five or six, too, of the, of the year. So this was, <laughs> this movie did exceptionally well and was critically well-reviewed, really, pretty much across the board. Die Hard 2. We should start a spinoff pod called Terrific Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> no it's this is terrific entertainment yeah. i think i put the this is so, but uh, then bill would be like that in the second month of terrific entertainment he'd be like let's do rachel getting married <laughs> yeah, let's, let's bring in divorce and dysfunction um all right coming up we are going to do i wanted to save there's a lot of stuff with the categories so we're going to do that and take a quick break this episode is brought to you by usaa insurance when you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. You can do it all right in the USAA app. And replacement cost coverage comes standard. That means damaged items are repaired or replaced even if they cost more today than they did when you bought them. Which could put your wallet at ease too, by the way. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring comes with a lot of chores because, you know, spring cleaning. One thing you can clean up right away, your phone bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. They have unlimited talk, text, data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. $15 a month. That's like, you can subscribe to two movie channels for that. I mean, what a great deal. Also, super easy to switch plans. Everyone gets so intimidated by, oh my God, I don't know if I should switch my plan. It's not that hard. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash rewatch. That's us. That's mintmobile.com slash rewatch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. For a first three-month plan only, speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, guys, most rewatchable scene. Had had some good ones in here. First one I have written out as John fights two guys in a security-restricted baggage area. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Vondi one Curtis Hall. Was, yeah, Vondi Curtis Hall. Really good... You know, I, I don't know if they do this as well anymore, where they have these fight scene setups with just like these cluttered big areas with a lot of rooms and things, and you can climb on things and you can hide behind things and things are moving and going back and forth. They do it a couple of times. I, Chris, I felt like they really used the airport nicely in this. This is, I was going to say, is this Apex Mountain for airports and movie theaters oh, and I, movies? You yeah, know, it's it, like, I, and, and also like, I was actually heartbroken to find out this isn't actually Dulles where they shot it. Mm. Cause I was like, this kind of just feels like an East coast airport at Christmas. But right. yeah, the baggage claim, 
really like just back in the wild west where you would just check your bag and you'd be like, let's just see what happens, you know? Right. Things <laughs> just going around. Do we know if that's what the baggage claim actually the back the back area actually looks I like I think Rennie Harlan took great pains to make sure that baggage <laughs> claim was depicted in the most uh accurate way possible. I see. Okay, good to know. I just in the back of my head I always think it's that's what it looks like just from Die Hard too. I just assume <laughs> yeah. it's like that. Next one Carmine meets McLean. Their first yeah. scene together. John McLean. Yeah, yeah, I know who you are. You're the asshole that just broke seven FAA and five District of Columbia regulations running around my airport with a gun shooting at people. What do you call that shit? Self-defense. Oh, what, you think that L.A. badge is going to get you a free lunch or something around here? Both guys bringing it. I, don't I got think there the were fucking a lot of Shiners convention coming. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Dennis Farina was going to come flying in and be like, hey, you're on my corner right now with that accent. Dial it back. Um, I love that this scene sets up one of my favorite things that could be in an action movie. The hero with the track record, the guy who's already come through on the biggest possible stage, and then they'll have the sequel, and there's some guy who is just completely unimpressed by the hero. Yeah, we're not at the Nakatomi building anymore, McQueen. It's like, why are you giving this guy shit? He saved 180 people? Uh, yeah, like I read about you ago. in People magazine. <laughs> it's like, what, where's where's the animosity coming from? I, I was thinking about this, if we had an example of this in real life, and the closest I could think of was Sully Sullenberger. That was exactly the same. And it's like, yeah. if, if he was a, a passenger on a flight that was going yeah. down and he tried to get into the cockpit... And the other pilots were like, we heard about you, Sully. We don't need your help. We're not on the East River, a Sullenberger. (laughs) No bodies of water this time, Sully. (laughs) Ain't no fucking geese in the engine here, Sully. Now take your seat. They just love doubting the heroes. And at no point does McLean just like take a beat and be like, hey, wait a second. Well, I guess they didn't have Google back then. There was no way for him to be like, but he was just like, can you call one of your friends and say, hey, who was the guy who saved everyone at the Nakatomi building that time? You're now, what? I have bad intentions now? Over but, the course of a year, I've become a bad person? But would John McClane have gotten that famous? Like, they treat him like he's Audie Murphy. You know, they're like, this guy defeated the Nazis. You know what I mean? Like, would John McClane become a national figure for what he did at Nakatomi Plaza? So, well, today it would this- be like, two weeks of fame or a week of fame. But back I then, don't know. you know, I, I had this in unanswerable questions. I actually think he'd become really famous from it because remember, this is the late eighties way pre-internet. We, we talked about Jessica McClure for like six years. That's the in, thing. In, in uh, the like Donna Rice. <laughs> yeah. And Faye Hill would no Faye. Who was the one? There was a Donna Rice, all the, all the people who were in Faye Hill. No, I'm, now I'm blanking. Who's this? But I don't, I'm I'm getting all my all my <laughs> all your ladies figures <laughs> mentioning of, women. Like, but think of the OJ thing, like Cato yeah. and Faye mm-hmm. Resnick. They they were like celebrities for two years. So I don't know. I just feel like John McClane. I I think this is supposed to be a year later, two years later. Yeah, Leno would still be doing his opening monologue about the Nakatomi Plaza. He okay. would have done the whole tour. He would have been on the Tonight Show and Letterman. He probably is making a Saturday Night Live cameo. He's definitely doing commercials. I just don't think he's moving around anonymously in an airport, but what do I know? Anyway, I didn't appreciate Carmine Lorenzo really doubting John McClane. I just would have given him the benefit of the doubt. Also, we have the... Hey, Carmine, let me ask you something. What sets off the metal detectors first? The lead in your ass or the shit in your brains? Fat 
<laughs> I think Bruce Adlib that one. <laughs> Not sure I totally understand that yeah. joke. Yeah, me neither. The next one I have is the, uh, I call it paintball shootout. There's just random scary looking terroristy guys all painting. Everybody's oh, fine Skywalk? with it. Yeah. yeah. Including Robert Patrick, the future Terminator 2. Yeah, the highly elite airport SWAT team doesn't notice a bunch of guys painting down at the other just, end of the hall and why say, that hey, might be suspicious. Yeah, we have a possible emergency here. Should we should we study these seven guys randomly painting over there? Nah, it's fine. But that's a, a really good one. I love seeing Robert Patrick. Also, I like the, the ramp. Bruce is trapped. The guns coming at him with the ramp. And the guy, instead of just shooting Bruce, does the thing like, ah, I'm going to try to get the gun before you and Bruce is able to shoot him. But uh, good suspense in that scene. I liked it. Next one. I, I, I guess we have to talk about this now. The plane crash. This is the craziest <laughs> and most horrifying <laughs> scene in the history of action movies. And honestly, the reason we haven't done this on the rewatchables before and the reason I'm kind of conflicted about this movie in the theater in 1990, this was kind of insane. And they moved on really quick from the 220 people that blew up and exploded because they were intentionally crashed. Three minutes later, they've, they're on to the next thing. I, it's an amazing scene to watch, especially like given 1990 technology. It really does look like it crashes. They do a good job of making it seem authentic. But man, that's a fun. I don't, wouldn't call it rewatchable, more like memorable, but. Sean, like, I, what was going on back then? I mean, post post nine eleven, you'll never see a scene like this again. I mean, everything about no. this movie is basically wiped off the slate from from nine yeah. eleven, like from hanging out in airports. On we can get into that, but yeah, I agree with you on both counts. I mean, there's two plane crashes in this movie, two or not plane explodes in in midair, and for 1990, it's kind of it's thrilling. I mean, it's 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 truly incredible. But also, you're right. They like, I mean, this is really one of the most violent super duper mainstream movies ever made there there are like five shootouts in the first 45 minutes of this movie there there's and it's some of it is like kind of half played for laughs like in the first oh, yeah. scene that you pointed out when he's holding an aerosol spray can and it gets shot and blown up but then yeah nothing happens so it's like it's somewhat sight gags somewhat like oh john mcclain is like back to his old tricks again and some of it is they crash a british airways plane and 200 people die and then the, the the story just keeps rolling, and Fred Thompson's yeah. like, "I need I need new transmitters," and you're like, "What? What? What? This would be the most insane national tragedy imaginable." This is the that we I was going to save this for what's age the worst or or picking nits, but we got to talk about it now. The the plane crashes. It's like there. It's not a secret. Everybody knows about it. It's being broadcast on the news, and everybody at Dulles just has another scotch. <laughs> and hangs out and waits. And it's only until when Dick Thornburg reports from the air that there's terrorists that they're like, I better get out of this airport. But like, if anybody ever was at an airport and a fucking Windsor Air like flight crashed, you'd be like, I'm not flying tonight. I'm going home. <laughs> it's a crazy 10 minutes because we're on the airplane before it crashes and they make it so that it's like douchey British people which is a really weird choice where it's like, oh, you might not, we're, we're going to crash this plane. So we don't really want you to like the people. On yeah, that. That's totally an intention. That's clearly yeah. part of it is like, well, they're not Americans, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> right, it's, so it's, it's really weird. I listen after nine 11, nothing like this scene would ever happen again. Pre nine 11. It was also insane. Just for the record, nine 11, no nine 11. Like 
this was an insane choice. And I remember in the theater on a 50 foot screen, just being like, wow, that wasn't that fun. <laughs> like, not really entertained right now. I, I think they could have like crashed it without just having it blow up and everybody on board dying. Anyway, it's, it's certainly a memorable scene. I wouldn't call it rewatchable. Next one I have is uh, McCrane pushing that, McLean pushing that crate, that grate up yeah, as the plane is coming at him. flying over him. Yeah. I don't know why he just doesn't duck under it, but um, gets out. He goes and gets Esperanza, gets overtaken, parachutes out, leading to that great shot, which I think is one of the better action movie shots we've had of Bruce coming at the camera on the parachute. Mm. Really good stuff. Really nice. And then he's parachuting down and they all have guns and they're like, ah. Well, the fire trucks are coming. So I think they're like, you got to get out of here. Maybe fire like three shots at him before getting away. But I agree. He's um, kind of a sitting duck in the air there. I don't know why they just drive away multiple machine guns. That seems really good. And then uh, the last one, I just have McQueen versus John Amos and, and, uh, and Stewart. He blows up, he blows up the plane. I have no idea how long this runway was. Not as long as the runway at the end of Fast and Furious 6, which was, uh, was three states long. But, um, then we have the guys in the control room like, they can use the fire for the planes (laughs) on the land. Fire to see. They use the fucking fire to see. They can all do that. Let's tell them. They already know. We had a visual on North Ace's landing. Listen. We're following the fire trail in as a guide. If they can do it, so can we. Oh, that's really good. I, I enjoyed all that. What do you have? Any other rewatchables I didn't have in there, Chris? Um, I mean, I just would point out that I really like uh, the news helicopter pilot in that scene with, when they're going over the uh, the airplane, the transport plane. He's like, I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. You know, right. and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but you, you covered all the ones that I have. There's a couple of like, well, this is a great movie full of scenes in which two guys are like standing over a blueprint and trying to figure out where to go. You know, there's like literally five or six scenes with McLean and, and Art Evans being like, yeah. so it would have to be at the old church, you know, like just, Total late 80s nonsense action movie sequences. Um, I also like all the William Atherton, Bonnie Bedelia, like battling on the plane in first class stuff. Yeah. They're all pretty short scenes, but that part of the plot is so weird. And it's like, I, I still don't totally understand like what their relationship is, like the restraining order and everything. You know, it's 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 a very convoluted setup. <laughs> I you could make a case you could just have cut that entire section out of the movie and it's yeah, probably fine. I mean, it all leads to just her tasering him in the in the airport bathroom. It's a lot of work. If to you get were to doing like, like a small the, payoff. The Bill Simmons cut. So like I am in my like in my dreams, like there's a rewatchables channel where we make our own cuts of movies. We get all not, the raw footage. But not for like taking out violence and profanity. If anything, we add that, but we cut out all plot lines that we find to be boring after the third rewatch. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy both, you know, both Atherton and Bedelia, but like it's kind of obvious they shot that in an LA soundstage somewhere, like yeah. completely separate from the rest of the movie. And then Bonnie, Bonnie, Bonnie Bedelia just, is like, I have two days. Can we do <laughs> yeah, all the scenes exactly. in two days? Yeah. So I don't know. I just that that stuff is fine, but it, it does slow the movie down a little bit. I do I just really enjoy William Atherton and the weird turn that his career took. Because he oh, was yeah. like the star of the Sugarland Express, and everybody was like, Is this guy Robert Redford? And then he spent the 80s just being an absolute shit heel and like Ghostbusters and Die Hard <laughs> 2. Peck? Is that yeah, his name? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ghostbusters. <laughs> really didn't turn out for him. 
if we have that rewatchables channel where we can re-edit movies for rewatchability, that's going to be bad for Bruce Willis's girlfriend in Pulp Fiction. Oh God! You won't yeah. even see her. It'll just be Bruce going to get well, his we'll watch. Well, let you and that's have it. like you could have your main channel, and then me and Sean will have like the Criterion channel of the rewatchable movies, where it's just great shots, you know, <laughs> just great camera work. <laughs> also, not positive. I would keep Roller Girl trying to film her Gonzo video with the guy from high school and what Burt is happening? Reynolds. What is going on here? I just I'm not sure I would keep that. I, that scene disturbs me. I don't like seeing Roller Girl stomp the guy from high school. It's upsetting. It's important to the movie. Also, I'm going to uh, have a third spinoff channel called the Maria de Medeiros channel. And it's just more, it's all cut sequences from Pulp Fiction yeah. of her great work. Qu Quentin doing director's commentary on all the choices that Maria made. Come on, you can't just ram it in there. That's Roller Girl. That seems horrible. Also, how does the donut shop have that much money? We talked. I may or may not have just watched the last hour. How does the donut shop have forty thousand dollars in it? Don't give it away. We haven't done it. We have literally had this conversation off mic like twelve times about the donut shop. I think I figured out a way to do boogie nights. What are you talking about? It's too big for one pod. I think we have to split it up into the seventies and the eighties. Okay. And part one is the seventies. Little Bill kills himself, and then part two is the eighties, and that's the second pod. That's going to be a really uplifting way to end part one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was interesting watching that uh, after the Will Smith Oscars. Watching the little, Nights? the little no, the little Bill part where he just kind of snaps. Oh yeah, mm. I was thinking like this is like a fifteenth cousin of the Will Smith slap. Little Bill, just like I've, I'm just that's it. I'm breaking from reality right now. All right, end of tangent. What's age the best? <laughs> end of tangent. <laughs> What's age the best? Uh, I, you know, naked Tai Chi. More importantly, you know, it's a great way to establish, just in case you were worried about whether this is a good guy or a bad guy, this is going to be a bad guy. Naked Tai Chi, bad guy. Just So it wasn't him cr crashing a, uh, a jetliner. It was no. his naked Tai Chi. We knew, yeah. I knew from 20 seconds, look on his face, naked Tai Chi. I'm like, okay, here's our bad guy. Naked Tai Chi guy. We got to find a way to take Naked Tai Chi back. Get yeah. it back on the side of good. How do we do that? I'm sure there's a website. All right. Sean mentioned the uh, bordering on a that guy record for people who then really kind of grew out of being that guy's, including Fred Thompson, William Sadler, who I think is William Sadler, but you know, he's in Shawshank. Vonde Curtis Hall definitely became that. I think maybe ER. No, was he on ER? He was on one of those 90s TV shows. Wasn't he on Chicago Hope? Chicago Hope. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Leguizamo, I'm sorry, was that guy for a little uh, while there. Time. And then eventually became John Leguizamo. But I didn't know what that guy's name was. In and then, 1990, for sure. And then Chris's guy, Cole Meany. The oh, yeah. pilot of British Airways. That was another that guy. And then there's a that guy who's still a that guy. That guy from Eight Men Out, who's one of the bad guys. Um, Are you talking was, about Don, Don Harvey? Is that, was he Don in? Harvey. Don Harvey. He was one of the bad guys in Eight Men Out, and he's just one of those guys. Don I, Harvey I never knew is, what his name was. Is like is like scarier William Forsyth, and that's really saying something because William Forsyth is pretty scary. Right. But Don Harvey is like you can't yeah, get he's like sociopath William Forsyth. <laughs> and then I got to be honest, Franz was uh, that guy in 1989, 1990. He was. Yeah. At that point, he was in Dress to Kill, 
Blowout, Body Double, the three De Palma movies. He's really good in all of them, especially Blowout. And then he's from Hill Street Blues. But he's kind of like that guy from Hill Street Blues. I don't even know if I knew it was Dennis Franz. He made a show called Beverly Hills Bunts. That was one of the legendary bombs of the 80s for TV. And uh, yeah. There there are more, there's more. I mean, I feel like the Vito, the cop at the beginning... Yeah, Robert Costanzo, he's a that guy. He's in Total Recall she- too. Right? Sheila McCarthy, the news reporter, she's a that, a that gal. Like they're the and Art people. Evans became a that guy from this movie because yeah. yeah. I never knew his name, but I always knew him as this guy from Die and Hard Two. Who's Marvin the janitor? Isn't he a that guy? Yeah, I, he's Tom, he's Tom Marvin Bauer. the janitor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's been a ton of stuff over the years. More would say the best. One of my favorite action movie lines anyone could say. I taught him everything he knows. I like when that guy's in the movie and they drop that. When, when Chris goes rogue and Chris becomes a terrorist in an action movie and they bring me in, like Richard Crenna in First Blood. I'm like, I taught Chris everything he knows. We've been working together since the Triangle of Grantland. I know how he thinks. He's going to gravitate toward obscure basketball bloggers and Philadelphia sports. Wait, in this <laughs> That's metaphor, how we're going to catch him. You're Richard Crenna and Chris's Rambo in this yeah, metaphor? And it, yeah. Am I a, I'm a terrorist? Chris melts down. The heart and shade, he loses it. Okay. But in this case, I'm a terrorist who still is blogging. You're blogging. The okay. hardened trade has broken you, and you're blogging from underneath the the floor at Philly, threatening okay. to blow at, up Game Four uh, at Wells Fargo. Ser- yeah. Serious question. And I'm like, I think it's Chris. Am I Dennehy in this metaphor? Hundred <laughs> <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. Uh, one more. What stage is the best for me? Other than the ones we've mentioned, is the Colonel Stewart. Can we have a few words, please? You can have two. Fucking you. No pictures, you pink. unbelievable exchange he's saying that as he's like walking right past her too when the ringer's finally back in the office Sean you gotta figure out a way to work that into your everyday language oh I'm sure that'll go over can I grab five minutes (laughs) Um, any other what stage the best for you guys how does the same shit happen to the same guy twice that line which Story is like, of my life. Yeah, but like the <laughs> self-awareness of yeah. the, the character, which makes the movie more fun. And then that line got sampled on I Got a Man, the Positive K song. So now every time you hear right. that song, you hear that line from that movie. I always think of Die Hard 2 when I hear that song. Classic. Great one. Airports at Christmas, age the best. Really, really just like love like the chaos, the misery, the vibe. Everybody's like wearing the parkas and stuff like that. Everybody's yeah. just, just p- pounding away at Jameson's and waiting to get on the flight. Uh Consequently, it also aged the worst because the behavior in the airport is completely like changed. So I had that in what's aged the worst and what's aged the best because it did make me nostalgic for the days when you could just show up at the airport on Christmas Eve and it wasn't going to be the seventh light, circle. Light hell. a camel. Yeah. <laughs> get, get completely blitzed before right. you got on a flight. <laughs> I'm just going to go get a triple scotch <laughs> and wait for my wife. I'm sure she'll be happy to see me. I, I love that. So the, his plan is basically... I'm going to pull up to the airport, leave the car at the curb, yeah. go in, light a cigarette, have a giant whiskey and clock these guys probably doing like some sort of drug deal and then get in a gunfight at <laughs> Dulles. Just just a normal day. Do we think this is John McClane's first time picking someone up at an airport? Because he doesn't really seem <laughs> to understand how it works. Also, I mean, this is an action movie trope, but the guy who's in this big busy situation but somehow spots the one thing that doesn't kind of add up 
where they're just he's yeah. just having a scotch and he's looking across the terminal and it's like he's, What's he's up with wa- that guy? watching the wizards or the yeah. bullets back then yeah. in real life that guy's just getting sloshed because and he bet like bulls plus six and he's just <laughs> staring at the tv <laughs> the newspaper this is pre-phil jackson too right 1990 so plus six that's tough yeah it's mj's mj's has M- MVP MVP season? Yeah, MJ's yeah. really good that year, though. One more break, and then we're going to do What Stage is the Worst. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Vital Farms keeping it bull free. We always wanted our kids as they were growing up to have stuff that came from the right places. Vital Farms is perfect for this. Here's how good Vital Farms is. You can go to vitalfarms.com slash farm, and you can get a 360-degree peak at the actual farm where your eggs came from. Uh, It's a certified B Corporation. They are devoted to improving the lives of people, animals, and the planet through food. Great taste. You can do fried, poached, scrambled. Vital Farms bet you can taste the difference. Food simply tastes better when you know where it came from. Shop the farm that's a certified B Corporation and gives their hens the lifestyle they deserve. Vital Farms. Look for the black Vital Farms carton in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what sounds good after a long day? Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it all that creamy, soft serve, hand mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? Vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family, at least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. All right. What's age the worst? We mentioned the plane crash, but um, really the what's age the worst is the trauma and sadness from the plane that's just incinerated like 120 passengers just comes and goes in two and a half minutes. It's really weird. It's a really weird choice. Chris mentioned the lax cured in airports and airplanes. I had for what's age the worst. It's funny. We were just talking about this, but just hanging out at the airport waiting for someone that for somebody like producer Craig, that's got to be inconceivable. Nobody does that anymore. You'll be like, yeah, yeah you, when are you landing? Well, I'll just be in the bar. Like that would never happen now. Yeah. My dad used to pick me and my mom when we would come back from Florida at Christmas from visiting my grandmother and f- my dad would pick us up in Philly and he would hand us our coats because he would just been like waiting at the gate. Right. I think, he, I think he'd been hanging out for a minute. You know what I mean? Like he'd just be like, that would just be like what you did. And then the car was like four minutes away. How many baggage room shootouts do you think you've gotten into in that time? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. I, a lot of that stuff has been redacted, you know? <laughs> I remember my old college roommate, the idiot Chip Kane, he was flying in from Milwaukee for his bachelor party in 94. And me and Jacko and how, like all of us, we just went right to the gate. And when he, came off, you know, to just emerging from the airplane. Like we were all right there. I don't, can you even do that anymore? No, no. You have to have a ticket to get past TSA. Yeah. But that's where you would see all like the tearful reunions and all that stuff. Yeah. It was emotional. And it was a trope in movies for years because it was always like chasing the girl who was getting on the plane and tracking her down in the romantic comedy. All that stuff is, all those conventions are gone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sad. That's a what's age the worst. Another what's age the worst. Smoking cigs indoors, Chris. Remember those days? They used to let us. They used to let, to let us be free. They used to let us spread our wings. Just light up one right. <laughs> Eleven people right next to you. Just lighten it up. You <laughs> guys <laughs> smell my cigarette smoke. You guys, legitimately, I, be, I truly believe this. Should have a spinoff show called the Sig Pod. Where you just uh-huh. smoke cigarettes through the whole pod. Talk about you whatever know, honestly, you want. I think that would do numbers. If Bill and I just had like one four-hour pod where we just smoked a bunch indoors. I, <laughs> I've thought about next moves for myself and for all of us and like what's next for us after the ringer. And, and it's probably a, a site devoted to movie scenes with cigarette smoking. <laughs> is it sponsored by like, uh, R.J. Reynolds? <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. We we move. Are these cigarette sponsors not as cool anymore? We no, because we them. pivot Open, away from yeah. FanDuel and right. we go to Big Tobacco. <laughs> right. Wait, Big this... Tobacco. We it comes back. It swings back. We're right there. We're three years ahead of everybody. Is this my full time job, Bill? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, you're is... picking out the movies. You're going through your Blu-ray collection. Looking, John, for you have to move to scene. North Carolina. <laughs> and become... <laughs> By the uh, way, I was scouting regarding Henry for the rewatchables because it's one of the worst movies Jesus of the last Christ. 35 years. <laughs> Some incredible Harrison Ford smoking in that movie. Harrison Ford, secretly awful smoker. Like if you're going for the like the worst well, A-list Willis actors, is one smokers, of the, the, the all-time greats. Willis is one of the best ones. Yeah. Cruz and Harrison Ford are definitely in the final four. Because he remember in the beginning, he's got his hair slicked back. It's this high-powered lawyer, and he's just like smoking, but he's doing the thing where his, his arms kind of tilted the wrong way and he's just but that I don't know if you know this but regarding Henry is now a hilarious comedy like not even just a comedy it's hilarious you just described it like you flew to Cameroon to see 12 year old Joel Embiid <laughs> you're like Listen, I'm scouting regarding yeah. Henry you're like LeBron watching like Benedict Matherin or something and be like I've been on this people don't realize how important you know we, we take the just because we do fucked up family February doesn't mean there weren't real decisions being made <laughs> But yeah, regarding Henry is honestly to take this of- beloved podcast and, and fly it into the ground like Cole Meany because <laughs> we do fucking regarding Henry before Aliens. Listen, I, if you go funniest movies of the early nineties, regarding Henry has to be in the conversation at this point. He gets shot in the head, and it makes him a nicer person. That's the plot of the movie. Yeah. yeah. The lesson what- is, if you can get shot in the head, you might be salvaged. Maybe that's Producer what John McClane was you gotta thinking. Watch that one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, more, more, more. What's age the worst? You're not pissing in someone else's pool, are you? Yeah, and I'm fresh out of chlorine. That's just bad. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. I'm fresh out of chlorine. You're pissing in someone's pool, like. Last one for me. I don't think that they did a good job casting the TV reporter. Samantha Coleman. Yeah, I didn't. They felt feel like they could have done better. Sheila McCarthy. So they should have been Jane Pauly. Who could we have gotten for this? I would have gone. I will have to wait for the recasting couch because I have some ideas. What else uh, for what's age the worst do you guys have? I, I think generally speaking, the access people seem to have to air traffic control towers at that era at that time. It's, seemed, it's alarming. Seemed problematic. Like just yeah. the idea that John McClane, I assume armed, could just like waltz into the air traffic control tower and be like, I'm going to start cursing out five or six different people. And then the press gets in behind her. Uh, Yeah. And other than that, um, there's a really, it's not funny. I get it is actually funny in the regarding Henry way, but like after those guys, the SWAT team gets ambushed and like definitively get mowed down by the special forces dude. By the time like 
like they're all dead. And then by the time like the next cut is people trying to like resuscitate one of the guys with paddles. <laughs> and it's like, this guy has definitively been shot 90 times yeah, by a Uzi. Right. <laughs> and they're like, okay, clear. And they're like trying to save this guy's life. So yeah. Emergency response services at Dulles were age the worst. Age the worst and picking nits and unanswerable are all a little tricky on this one because it is in kind of the incoherent action movie category. But particularly the three grenades scene and the way that that scene is cut is bizarre because like the characters look at say before they blow up. Yeah, we, we've got yeah. three grenades. We see not one, not two, not three, not four, but five grenades go in. I think in. they say three grenades each. Oh, yeah. each. Yeah. So like they literally threw like seven grenades into the plane. Yes. Okay. That that makes it make more sense. And then obviously way too much time elapses before the grenades blow up. That's the time is interminably long. Casting what ifs didn't really have any other than um, John McTiernan was supposed to direct this film, but he had committed to the hunt for Red October already, and they wanted to make it. But other than that, they just kind of ran it back with. Do you think it's significantly better with McTiernan? No, I think Randy Harlan did a good job. I think I think this is a really good action movie. He just has like a slightly different tone. You know, McTiernan like takes the material like a little bit more seriously. This movie's like a little goofy and a little big, you know, a little grand. But don't you think for a sequel that's kind of the way yeah. to they had to do it? I yeah. think well, well here's the thought here's it made the, sense. Here's the question. I mean, this is in some ways it's I'll you know, I'll I'll save it for probably unanswerable questions. All right. Best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award. We mentioned a bunch of them. I feel like Robert Costanzo is Robert Costanzo. He is to us, at least. Like, producer Craig has no idea who he is, but, you know, he's total recall. He's been in a thousand things and kind of looks like... That's the same like thing Col- for, like, Mark Boone Jr., who's one of the guys uh, in, in the Special Forces crew, and he, he winds up going on to be in Sons of Anarchy and stuff, so... Yeah. So, for me, it's either Don Harvey or Art Evans, and I, I would like to give them both the award. Okay. Because right. I didn't know what either of their names were, but I would recognize them immediately and could name multiple movies with each person and have no idea who they are. Great. The Vincent Hanna, give me all you got a word. <laughs> this is Franz. Franz is like, wow. I almost wonder if Pacino watched Franz in this movie studying to get ready to play Vincent Hanna. Can you guys think of another movie where someone is so definitively, obviously, not from where the movie is set. So this movie is set in Washington, D.C. He is the most Chicago cop I've ever seen. Yeah. And he's just, like, using his Chicago accent and inexplicably is the airport cop at Dulles. Do you think it's, like, there's a backstory? Like, he used to be a Chicago guy, but then he burned out in the big city, so he got this job at Dulles running the airport security? Like, what's the story with his accent? You are in my little pond now, and I am the big fish that runs it. <laughs> I got international diplomats. <laughs> you shut the area down. It's that simple. I just shut the area down. Yeah. And I got everybody from the Shriners Convention to the goddamn Boy Scouts traipsing through here. I got lost kids, lost dogs. Not now, later. I got international diplomats. I got a fucking reindeer flying in here from the fucking petting zoo. Fucking reindeer. You'd be surprised what I make in a month. <laughs> What's a Washington, D.C. accent? Maybe that's why Washington is the focal point of more movies. Gotta get house on the line. Chris, you're in Philly. You don't like Washington, but they, like, can you tell if somebody's from the DMV? Yeah. 
Yeah, I can tell that by the accent. Yeah, by their inflection. What is it? Is it a well, it's southern? more just like that Baltimore accent that I. I mean, you can detect, but I. I think yeah. I don't know if like I know the DC is like obviously full of a lot of transplants, so it's hard harder to tell for me. Dion Waiters Award. I it's have a this. tough one. I got this. Who do you have? The um the news TV producer who takes the deepest hit of a cigarette ever and is like, tell the affiliates they have three minutes if they want in. <laughs> <laughs> that guy who's just like, we're going live in five. <laughs> <laughs> that, it, that's pretty good. I it's had good Amos. I had that too. It's good to see James Evans again. My guy. Is, well, I'll save it. I'll save it for picking notes. Recasting couch. Definitely re for me, I'm recasting the TV reporter. I was trying to think of people early 90s-ish. I think maybe they should have gone for like a young up-and-comer. What about what about Marky Post? Well, if you go, well, that, I mean, that's always the answer. If we can get Marky Post. <laughs> what about there. Dana Wheeler Nicholson? Love she would have been great too. Sounds like you guys also that. record this pod with a boner. <laughs> I was thinking Sandra Bullock for a young whippersnapper. Oh, sure. A little sure. like 20, 25 year old trying to work her way up. What year is Speed? Scoop. When did Speed come out? Speed's 94. 94 so it's like oh, okay. three, four years before. But she did Love uh, Potion Love, number nine. Yeah. Love Potion number nine was 92. So it's like maybe a year before that. But I, I would have liked to have seen them go for the young whippersnapper, attractive female reporter who then turns out to be somebody in real life. This movie you know. is a bit unkind to uh, the press, I would say. Yeah, not, not a fan. Not, not the most uh, empathetic figures in this movie. Fucking First Amendment rights. <laughs> Half-ass internet research. This was the first film to use digitally compositive live-action footage with a Brandy traditional Harlan. map painting that had been photographed and scanned yeah. in a computer. Used for the last scene on the runway. Rennie strikes again. This was fun. Black and Decker paid to have a cordless drill featured in a Bruce Willis scene. And um, the scene was cut, so they sued for $150,000. They sued 20th Century Fox, settled out of court. Black and Decker. Didn't think they'd be coming in the podcast, did you? John Leguizamo wrote an autobiography and said that his role in this movie was intended to be much larger until the filmmakers realized how short he was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tough beat. John Amos said there was actual tension between him and Bruce Willis during the course of filming. And you could feel some of it on screen. He said, quote, let's just say that he will never humiliate me in public again. You got that, Bruce? John Amos is kind of lit. He's one of my favorite. He's definitely has some, he's like almost like an old wrestler. When it's like <laughs> Bret Hart will give those interviews where he just torches Goldberg for no reason. It's kind of what John Amos does with Hollywood. He's just like, here, here are my Jimmy Walker thoughts. And just like, yeah, it's Jimmy Walker. Uh, the film was so close to not being done when it came out that they shipped them to the theaters. I'd never heard this phrase before as a, a wet print. A wet print, yeah. Wet print means... It was just completed right before the release date. They call it wet prints. Good name for a website or, or a band. We, like we a should do like alternative a alternative band, wet prints. A wet pod, you know, like where it's wet just, prints pod? <laughs> just, just right. let it fly. They're all wet pods, Chris. They're all <laughs> wet pods. Apex Mountain. Oh, uh, how many how many people died in this movie? 300? Because there's like 200 people on the Windsor flight. 
The internet said 114, but I don't know how many people do we know were on the British Airways flight. I thought there was like 200 souls were on that flight. But it looks I like, a, like a big jet. So yeah. you imagine there's a lot of people on it. So yeah, I have so one I, piece I of uh, half-assed internet research I wanted to just bounce off you guys. And it's also, it also comes in the form of a personal announcement. So uh, Esperanza yeah. is actually a general in the country of Valverde, which is the same country used, the fictional South American country used in Commando. I had that in Apex Mountain for Valverde, so but we I just wanted now. to let you know that I will be leaving the ringer to write a Patrick Radenkeefe esque <laughs> nonfiction account of the drug wars in Valverde. <laughs> I love that Joel Silver was like, let's just run fucking Valverde back. <laughs> well, maybe we could do a ringer narrative pod of the history of Valverde and just make up yeah. every piece of it. It's an incredible idea. I love it. You, me, Sean, and Shay would listen to it. Valverde, cocaine, <laughs> guns, and beaches. Kyle Brand is in on this. I know he's down. <laughs> yeah, of course That's he true. is. There's five listeners. Yeah. Kyle Brand wants to be a WWF wrestler called Valverde. <laughs> flashback. Is he Valvenus's brother? <laughs> Valvenus's brother, Valverde. Uh, all right. So Apex Mount for Valverde to me is still Commando. All mm. due respect to Valverde and uh, Die Hard too, but Commando, we actually go to Valverde. It's true. Bruce Willis for Apex Mountain. Well, this movie makes even more money than the first one. You could one. make the case, yeah. I, I do feel like he's getting anything greenlit after this. Sean's thinking Die Hard 1 still. I forget what we decided in Die Hard I was, 1. That's what I was trying to remember is what we said. That was years ago we did Die Hard. It was years ago. Um, I mean, he he does, after this movie, take some pretty big risks. Takes a lot of swings from his accumulated power, right? Because it goes Bonfire of the Vanities, in which he's miscast, but... I mean, huge movie before it came they out. They shoehorn him in because he's such a big star. Yeah. yeah. And Hudson Hawk and Billy Bathgate and Last Boy Scout all in 91, plus Mortal Thoughts, which you mentioned. So he's clearly like, he's putting all his ships down immediately mm -hmm. after Die Hard 2. And he probably had a big cut of the, whatever the profits were. Billy Bathgate up. actually kind of underrated. I didn't mind of, it. Lauren Dean, kind of the Marco Ravaroni of that one. Yeah, he's he's way out of his depth. Yeah, that, among tough, that cast. Tough, big, big gamble on him, and I don't yeah. think it paid off. Yeah. Uh, snowmobile chases. Well, I think there's probably a couple in Reindeer Games, right? There's a really good Bond one, right? What's the Bond yeah, snowmobile I, chase? I'm with you. I Inception think has some snowmobile stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, li li the Living Daylights. There's a great one in the Living Daylights. Dennis Franz, no. NYPD Blue has to be that for him. What's Rennie Harlan's Apex Mountain, Sean? My favorite is Long Kiss Goodnight. That's, I think, the coolest movie he made, but this has got to be his Apex Mountain. This so is the most successful movie he made, right? Yeah, but I think he might actually be best known for Deep Blue Sea at this point. That's so crazy. I mean, I know people love Deep Blue Sea as like kind of like kind of half a gag, but I don't know. This Were you ever did you have you watched Cliffhanger recently? Oh, it's on the list. I was kind of waiting for the 30th anniversary. I love that movie. Is that it? Might be this year, or is it next year? I think it's, it's next year. Ninety three. Yeah, I love Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger was, awesome. was Rennie Harlan Cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Gotta say, Lithgow does the Alan Rickman really as good as Alan Rickman in that movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Big hit. I mean, Rennie Harlan made huge hit. I mean, Cutthroat Island is kind of the movie that pulled him down. It's been chronicled as like a huge bomb over the years, but. He's made some fun action movies. You know, Chris is a huge Janine Turner guy. <laughs> who, right. is, who isn't? Yeah. 
I'm, I'm the reason Northern Exposure isn't on streaming. I just I got the rights in an NFT. I won't let them let them go. I'll tell you what. <laughs> she is breathtakingly attractive in that movie. Janine Turner, like all time, looks fantastic. She is in my that's that would be a good podcast of why weren't you a bigger star? She would definitely be in the first season. Felt Who like else? she she could have gone. I don't know. I just don't know why she wasn't a bigger star. I think is she, is she there on, was a moment there where you would have her rookie cards were selling for a lot. Oh no, I'm thinking then of it, someone else. I'm thinking of Ann Archer. Ann Archer is a good example of that too, though. Why wasn't Ann Archer a bigger star? I don't know. She's in the dropout right now, and I was trying to figure out who it was while I was watching it. I was like, holy cow. Is there anybody who's Ann not Archer. in the dropout? There's a lot of people in the dropout. The dropout's kind of the diehard like for too. me. I love Guy Tory. I don't know why he wasn't a bigger star. Mm, from American History X? Yeah. Yeah, he's good. American History X. That'll be near the tail end of the rewatchables. See our solo pod. <laughs> just to break just to break down the pickup <laughs> basketball scene. The two-hand dunk by Ed. Yeah. Uh Moray Picks Mountain. Oliver Stone ripoff villains. Cause they, they always said the Stuart in this movie is basically Oliver Stone. I think that was the peak of Oliver that. North. Oliver North. Oliver North. I'm sorry, not Oliver Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting old. It would be even better if he was Oliver Stone. Yeah. He's Oliver. like, I want to make a film that tells the truth <laughs> about you Dallas know what really Christmas. Happened. Did that yeah. plane really crash? Uh, Evil John Amos, 100%. Bruce Willis's. Old hair before whatever chicanery started with it. I think this was the last wave of when he had like the peninsula at the top. Yeah. Then it starts. I, I don't know what happens. By the time we get to Pulp Fiction, there's some. TB12 is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. No question. <laughs> so here's the case for Bonnie Bedelia. She's in this and Presumed Innocent, two of the top 12 movies in 1990. They shoehorn all of her scenes in this because they feel like she has to be in it. And uh, and everybody liked her. And I would say this 1990s is as good as it got for Bonnie Bedelia. I always had such a crush on her. I don't know. She's great. Sean having a crush on her was the lock of the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, set in an airport movies. It's either this or airplane, right? What about airport? The movie. That's Those movies have not aged well. Yeah, they're tough. How much airport is in planes, trains, and automobiles? I don't think enough. Okay. I don't think enough. How about icicle eye stabbings? It's it's one of the the goats. You know, you always hear about that. It's the perfect murder weapon. It's rarely you get to see it used in action, though. So I have yes for icicle eye stabbings, but no for eye stabbings, because I still think single white female, the heel and the, the heel. eye is yeah. the number one eye stabbing that I can remember. It's funny that McLean gets really grossed out by the icicle eye stabbing thing, but like does so many other grody right. things to the human yeah. body. Why is he grossed out by anything? Gotta tell you, there's a horror movie in theaters right now called X that's got a high level eye stabbing in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to see that soon. I'm excited for X. Looks it's good. It's Looks like fun. it's in my wheelhouse. Uh, getting fingerprints from a corpse. Yeah. What do you guys think about fax technology picking up the nuances of fingerprint identification in 1990? <laughs> seems, like that. seems flawed. <laughs> nets. Oh, wait. We got two more Apex Mountains. Let's hear it. Airphones. Public mm. airphone. They don't really have those anymore. Why not? It'd be kind of cool. Two, uh, I think we should have the debate as to whether Sadler's fully nude Tai Chi 
tops Swayze's half nude Tai Chi in Roadhouse. This is great. I'm glad I'm here for this. And I would love to know what the onset body oiling regimen was for those guys. Like, was that self applied? Right. Was that Teamster? Was that like a union job? You know, I just don't know why you wouldn't. <laughs> Put underwear on for the Tai Chi in the hotel room. That's the well, part I don't get. What is it? What is it about really the full had nudity? To get the the bureau exactly positioned to right. cut off. Yeah, his, his. That's package. the genius of Ernie Harlan. There, <laughs> that's, right. that, that's cinema, cinema magic. <laughs> I feel like Roadhouse. It's more important than Roadhouse, personally. Is it if you pu- if you put on one article of clothing while doing oily Tai Chi, are you then good? But then, as soon as you remove all your clothing, you become evil. Well, I assume you have to shower afterwards, right? It's sure. the difference that this is how we know if you have underwear on, you might be the good guy. The <laughs> naked is you're unquestionably the bad guy. Interesting. Picking nits. What's the plot of this movie? <laughs> I said it to Chris right when I got on this bill. I was I, like, I, I, I don't understand this movie at all. So here's what Wikipedia said. You guys really don't understand the plot of this movie? I'm just going to read you what Wikipedia said. A plane carrying corrupt foreign military leader, General Ramon Esperanza is also headed to Dulles under extradition for using U.S. funds to buy drugs. Waiting to meet Esperanza's plane is disgraced former Colonel William Stewart and a group of ex-military sympathizers who supported Esperanza's actions. Couple questions. What are they supporting? He's a general in charge of a small country that is using drug money to like fund his regime. So you have all of these domestic terrorists now who are like, I, I like this guy. At what point is it like, yeah, I'll, I'm in. I'll, I'm in on Esperanza. Like, what do I have to do? And it's like, well, here's the third thing you're going to do. You're going to blow up this plane of 210 people because Esperanza's our guy. Like, the the whatever he could have meant versus what the outcome of some of the stuff they do is fucking insane. I strongly agree. I don't understand why they are killing hundreds of people to, I guess, regain custody of this general and return together to Valverde and resume their drug operation. Is that the idea? Evidently, there's just the only, there's only like two guys from the Department of Justice waiting to meet that plane. Like, this is not something that the United States was obviously taking tremendously seriously. Although, weirdly enough, the only thing people are watching on television at Christmas is coverage of Esperanza's extradition on the cable news <laughs> every time they turn the TV on. And another day of Esperanza headlines. <laughs> well, the other piece is they're all on the plane at the end, right before it blows up. And they're like, uh-huh. yeah, we'll be sitting pretty on a... Blah, blah. And it's like they're, there's the assumption that all this money is waiting for them in Valverde because they freed Esperanza. So was somebody paying them to free Esperanza? And wouldn't these be the most wanted domestic? This would be like this would be like Al Qaeda. I think it's like anti-communist guys who are like, we need this strong general to like stamp out the 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 communist uprising in Valverde. I okay. The, <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying. I'm just, this is a fake country. I'm like explaining. How do we have an extradition treaty with Valverde, given the way that that country is being run by a corrupt general? That's what. Oh, I don't know. I thought that he was being, I thought he was essentially like kidnapped there. And then I thought that, uh, I didn't think they were going back to Valverde. I thought they were going to some place that did not have extradition. Because they were like, if he gets to a non-extradition country, we're screwed. 
The well, the fact drugs. that we just spent four minutes trying to figure this out tells me maybe they didn't really fully land the plane thing, with this I, plot. I kind of grasp what's happening in the movie. It's the getaway plan is very cloudy to me. So it's like even also, it had the they, incentives of all these dudes. Like at one point, evil Stewart looks over to the guy and he's like, "Now make it minus two hundred. And the guy's like, "All right, cool." Like he presses some buttons. All right, cool. I'll kill two hundred and ten people. It's pretty crazy. Also, um, speaking of that. Apparently changing the glide slope values. There's a lot of stuff on the internet about this that would not cause the plane to crash. They, their aircraft instruments have all of these different mechanisms in place to prevent the plane from being fooled by one person just changing the thing. So that would never happen in real life in case anyone home was worrying about it. Um, was Esperanza evil enough for you guys? Uh, I mean, Stuart more than makes up for whatever evil Esperanza lacks. I think we could have a conversation though about this movie is 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 pretty ridiculous. Is it worse than one in three because it doesn't have an evil guy as a villain as charismatic as uh, Rickman or John Jeremy Irons? I feel like Esperanza. That's a pick in it for me. I d- I didn't feel like he was charismatic enough for me. Mm-hmm. I love Franco Nero. I just think it's confusing because they split, they split the baby like by giving William Sadler and Franco Nero like the duel, and then John Amos comes in and yeah. he's evil too. And then it's kind of overload on who is really the worst out of all these guys. Yeah. So all these planes are circling because they can't make contact with the airport. It's Washington D.C., right? Is there another airport in D.C. like twenty-five minutes away that they could have just been rerouted to and couldn't well, they've had contact like, with that airport? I think they've had like a huge because of the storm. There's also difficulties because na- they say national gets. What about Philly? What about Baltimore? Like the, you're just gonna fly in circles until you crash? You have oh, seven now you, other now, cities now around you there. need Philly's help. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would the airport have been busier on Christmas Eve? Was it busy enough for you guys? Isn't that the busiest day of the year? It's Christmas week, right? I think it's the yeah. 23rd. Okay. Yeah. We mentioned why didn't everyone recognize John McClane? So at the end of the movie, the runway lights up on fire because of the airplane fuel. Um, according to the internet, the type of fuel for the aircraft would be jet A fuel. At the temperature in the movie... It would not have caught on fire just by having a lighter thrown on it. It actually bummer. would have gone out. So that was, I don't know if that ruins the movie for you guys. I feel like we're really asking the big questions on this episode. Thank about, you. About plausibility. Thank you. We're getting into it. Any other pick and nits, Chris? Yeah, my big thing is like, what was the plan had John McClane not lit their plane on fire? Like, so like, would they not get shot down by military planes the second they take off? Did they really think they were going to be able to fly to the tropics and live happily ever after? Mm. Like, what was what was sort of the, the retirement plan for these guys? Oh, I have another one too, which is when John McClane wants to demonstrate to Demis Franz that those were blanks in the gun, he just yeah. unloads a clip inside of a full office of people at With Dennis people Franz. who have guns. Who just and then shot that's him the moment like, Dennis Franz is like, boy, fucking McClane, this guy's really talking some sense. <laughs> He, was like, he won him over six times before he yeah, actually won Why not him just over. be like, hey, see, check it out. This one has blue tape on it, and that's a blank. Yeah. Right? Here, I'll show you. I'm going to shoot it. Let's safely discharge this weapon, not like. I have, a, I, I have another one. Yeah. 
How did John Amos get and his team get assigned to the detail at Dulles if they were the double agents? Was he in charge of determining who would be the people who would go? And why was there only one guy who was not also a double agent who had to have his throat slashed before right. they executed the mission? Shouldn't they have just left that guy at home if he was actually in charge? What was also, this? red flag. I used to work with this guy, but I don't like him anymore. And they're like, cool. Sounds good. <laughs> Very suspicious. <laughs> Very suspicious. Could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? No. Probably unanswerable questions. Is this a Christmas movie for you guys? We did this for Die Hard. We had like a 10-minute argument about it. I still don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Everyone can fuck off. <laughs> well, and you don't think Home Alone is a Christmas movie, right? I don't. Yeah. So, so, so did you think the, Die Hard 2 is a Christmas movie? I mean, I do not. That would yeah. be an incredible twist if you were like, this one is, and here's why. But you guys I, don't think this is a Christmas movie, right? I definitely do. Of this, course, it this is. captures the yeah. anxiety of traveling during Christmas. It ends with a Christmas song. You guys are ridiculous. A Christmas movie is like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and every single scene. Had, if what you more don't have fucking Christmas, Christmas do you need in this movie for it to be? This movie could have happened on July third. It's like they literally it talk about how it's Christmas week, like the entire fucking yeah, movie. Fuck, they're shoehorning it in. <laughs> Why are you so mad about this? It's I like you're know. fighting the Christmas whole internet. Are Christmas movies. <laughs> what the fuck does that even mean? That's a tautology. Like I don't know. What are you talking about? <laughs> Like Christmas to play a role in the movie beyond just like being shoehorned in because, oh, and then we'll say it's Christmas and then we can have fake snow. And Did you look at the feedback that you got when you first started proffering this take and you like it and now you're kind of keeping the fire burning? So you're like, everyone else is wrong and I'm right? Or do you, in your heart of hearts, no. do you like, this is not a Christmas movie? In my heart of hearts, it's not a Christmas movie. And all the, all the negative reactions <laughs> to my takes make me stronger. <laughs> <laughs> like John Bender. Um, did this movie invent the recreational taser gun, Sean? Uh, That's, I'm glad you went to Sean with this. Have you seen it? Do you remember a taser being used for comedic effect before in a movie? Not before this. I will say this I is I not like Apex. It, invented it. it is not Apex Mountain, though. Apex Mountain no, is the Jackass. hangover. No, it's the hangover. Yeah. The, the in the okay. face. That's the that's the best one. Hangover is pretty good though. It is. Man, that's tough. Hangover or jackass for Apex Mountain. Um, any other unanswerable questions? I feel like we had everything. Mm. Most importantly, whatever the plot was, which I still don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> we we covered mine earlier, which was would everybody at the airport really be that chilled out after a, a massive plane crash and just be like, Great, when's my flight leave? I feel like that would be massive panic. And then at the end, when everyone's hugging because people have been saved, I still feel like it's a little more somber. Yeah. It's not Dennis Franz being like, hey, McLean, you got this fucking parking ticket. Yeah, I'm ripping <laughs> it up. I want to ask you about the parking ticket, actually. Yeah. So the movie opens with him, his car being towed away. Yeah. But what did he do? So he parked the car and he got out of the car? Yeah, he just yeah. Like left his car at the well, where did he the go? airport to go to the bar. But then could he see the car from the bar? I think like, why did he come back outside? To be arriving. I think it's like because she's like delayed and then she calls and she's like, it's gonna be another half an hour or whatever. He keeps getting paged. So I think he thought she would be like walking off the plane when he got in there, and it turns out she's delayed. Who and then does his car? Who parks there though? Seriously? No, nobody. Only people in movies. It's ridiculous. My only other unanswerable question could anyone else have been John McClain for you guys? Ugh. Wow. 
it's a pretty nice mix of comedy and action that I think made it unique for Bruce Willis. And then every man too. What about like Treat Williams? I don't think he had the sense of humor piece. What about Jeff Brid- Jeff Bridges? That's not bad. It's a different vibe, but it, he could. I think he could have done it. Yeah, that's not bad. Mm. I can't believe you dropped a Treat Williams on us. Yeah, Chris, do you think Dan- Dana Wheeler Nicholson could have done it? I mean, we'll never know, but that that's a, it's a hell of a what if, you know? Bridges is a good one. I, I don't think Bridges... When I direct Dana Wheeler Nicholson's Last Dance, I'll be sure to ask her. I'll show her the iPad of Die Hard 2. I was going <laughs> like, to ask you if we'll never know because she's been locked in your basement for several years. <laughs> she's Dan- Dana Wheeler <laughs> Nicholson Ryan. Jeff Bridges never did this everyman thing. I guess the closest was probably blown away, right? But yeah. he's got the Irish accent in that. Yeah. Chris, what piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? How about the charred remains of 210 British Airways passengers? <laughs> no? Jesus Christ, Bill. I, like, I was going to say I like the uh, the white snowsuits those guys wear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going to start wearing that around Spotify. It's good ones. You should come Night. to the next Rewatchables recording with that white ski mask over your head. Yeah. I think the obvious answer is the gun with the blanks with the blue tape on it would mm. be a cool thing to break out at parties. Sure. Maybe even to try to shoot people. With. Yeah. <laughs> Just blanks. It's the Die Hard 2 gun, guys. Uh, I would have that. Oh, Craig says the uh, plane phone. Mm, that's a good Game. one. It's weird that in 1990, you could just like make calls from the plane, even if it costs like $20 a minute. And we can't do that now. Yeah, there's got to be some sort of security stuff going but on. But I also I think, am glad because like the worst thing in the world would be to be like on a cross-country flight with a guy on the phone for yes. six hours. That's maybe that why they got rid of it. The only other thing I had for memorabilia items was Bruce Willis' sweater for the first hour. It's such like an early 90s sweater. The Nobody would ever wear that anymore. That's the one. The shawl happened. collar. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Nobody has that. Uh, who won the movie? Our guy, Bruce Willis. No doubt. He did it again. Bill, do you... Can I ask you, because I feel like you keep, you keep ducking this. Do you not like Die Hard with a Vengeance that much? I need to see it again. It's a very big one for Chris and I. It, me, yeah, it's 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 a perfect movie. I need to say it again. Okay. I haven't seen it in a while. It's not really on that much. No, I know. I mean, also you got all this. I, it's kind this, of been banned from cable. It feels like. No, it hasn't. It was on. Uh, when is a it on? Lot. I don't see it ever. When it came out, it was on all the time on HBO. How come you're like I'm crushing regarding Henry tape, but I can't seem to find Die Hard it's with true. a Vengeance? Anywhere. I'll send my scouts to Die Hard with a Vengeance. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> But to do it, you mock you mock me. But this is why I keep this handy. This is always within within arm's reach, so I can watch DH with a V. I was really. I remember I saw the one. You should be regarding H because that's that's where the (laughs) watchables is going. I uh, I saw the one with Justin Long the day of the NBA draft, and I was going to do a draft diary later that day. So I needed. I wanted to kill time so I could keep my head straight. And it was like the worst decision because I didn't think it was very good and it made me mad. And I was in like the wrong state of mind for the draft diary. Four and five are not strong. What's What was like some of... So you really felt like not liking that late period Die Hard movie come out in your writing? Yeah, I, I just was the wrong choice. What year did that come out? This year you should um, you should watch Regarding Henry and then watch do a draft diary. It was, it was two, your, 2007 was Live for Your Die Hard. So what draft was that? That's yeah, that was, that was the Durant draft. Yeah. 
Yeah, so Odin, Dorian. Yeah, don't find, you go, go back and read it. Probably didn't do as good of a job as I could have because Justin Long, I just couldn't figure out why he was in multiple scenes with Bruce Willis. I didn't know what happened if somebody had called in sick. You, your, your Chairman E jokes were not as strong as they could have been? I Or maybe I had told too many of them. That might have been it too. I might have been I burned just, out. I just called this up. You you open with you complaining about Wally Zerbiak and Delonte West getting ankle surgery. <laughs> See, terrible. It's choice. nice to know that you haven't you haven't aged a day. Terrible choice, uh, producer Craig. What do you think of Die Hard too? Uh, I love Die Hards. I actually have. I've only seen one and two, but I watched it with Liz. I kind of forced her to watch it. Oh, she doesn't. Yeah, and um, she liked it a lot, but was then freaking horrified when the plane crashed and i even kind of forgot that i was like wow they really just move on i think that's why it's not on as much as as one and three i think the plane crash it's the reaction to a lot of normal people of why did that just happen there's is a very easy like um the rock way of fixing this where like it could have just been like that's what i would have done don't and like he saves the plane at the last second like when Ed Harris shoots right. the rockets at San Francisco and then he like redirects them at the last second. He's just like, don't make me do this to you. But instead, Stewart's just a fucking psycho and crashes a plane and then... Yeah, I think Rennie like, Harlan oh. wanted to... He was fired up. I think he was just like, let's do it. We'll, we'll actually crash the plane. It'll be great. Yeah, I can't think of a movie that seems like that makes me think about how different flying on a plane in airports used to be than this movie. Yeah, that's that's true. I forgot to mention when we were doing um, what stage the best worst is this movie had trouble on the on the old TVs for a while because it's filmed super wide. It's fine now with the TVs we have, but it was it was really hard to follow with all the action because they would have to move the camera around to try to fit the square. Now you can so, really get Fred now Dalton you, Thompson. Now it's a better yeah. feel. So I think it's uh, I think it's grown. Did this movie right. make Fred Dalton Thompson a senator? Essentially, like these Hunt for October and Die Hard Two, where people just like let's just vote this guy in. I think so. That's it. Was always, there was a couple other ones in there too. Ones in there <laughs> didn't work for Dennis Franz. All right, this podcast was produced by Craig Korolbeck. Uh, thanks to Sean and Chris, and uh, and thanks to Bruce Willis for for some classics over the years. Enjoy retirement. We hope you feel better, and we'll see you next week on the rewatching.